Welcome to today's episode of InfoSec Journeys. Uh, Ashley and I are really pleased today to be joined by James Morris, uh, someone who works in the InfoSec recruitment space. Uh, and we've got a lot to cover with you today, James, uh, about how you broke into the recruitment space, what it's like to work in that competitive field, uh, and then also what it's like for businesses to recruit in information security, skill shortages, and also as a candidate, uh, how you can best succeed in this environment. So before we get into all of that really good stuff, why don't I throw it over to you, James, give us a brief, brief uh, introduction, who you are uh, and what you're all about. Thanks, Colin, and, uh, and actually, I'm really pleased to be here. So thanks for having me on. So I guess, yeah, I've, I'm James. I've been in uh, cybersecurity recruitment now for the last well, seven years, just over now. Um, so I've always been with the same company, a company called NDK InfoSec. We've sort of grown and, uh, and chopped and changed as the times have gone on. Um, started out with, with just me and a director in a uh, sort of an, an industrial park. There was a, a converted farm at the time. So it was a, literally a converted cow shed and we've sort of grown out of there now and uh, <laughs> moved offices a bit. So it was a really quirky beginning actually and, uh, and a hell of a sort of an insight into the recruitment. My, my boss has been doing it for sort of 20, 30 years or so. So it was a, a real sort of journey to sort of learn how things have been done the right way before LinkedIn, before, you know, really email was up and running and sort of the old school way. So we've sort of learned and grown and sort of specialized in the infosec field a bit further and develop niches in there, which is pretty cool and allows us to, to add value better to our clients and, and but also you know, work a little bit easier, I guess. Um, so now we're based um, just outside of London, Tunbridge Wells Way, and we've got uh, seven people now uh, looking to bring on, well, we've got another person starting soon and, uh, and recruiting further from there. So yeah, we're on the, uh, on the up, uh, slowly but surely, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's going well, it's going well. Yeah, that's interesting. Like pre-link, I, I, I'm trying to imagine the days pre-LinkedIn of all of these <laughs> notifications and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, so what, what was that like then? The, the state of recruitment when you first joined it, what, what was the kind of appeal for you? Oh, you know what, I, uh, and I'm, if you speak to a lot of recruiters, they'll be in the same shoes. They weren't really sure what recruitment was before they got involved in it. Uh, so I came out of uni, sports science, and I think uh, I initially wanted to go in the police. Uh, so I applied for the police, got rejected. I can't remember the exact reason why. And I thought, crikey, what am I going to do now? So I was looking at these, these jobs online, suitable for graduates. And I thought, okay, I don't really want to do sport as a career. It's great, but it's not really a career for me. And uh, all I kept seeing was recruitment. So I just started applying. You interview, and, and then you slowly learn about what recruitment is and how it, how it is and things like that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm lucky enough to sort of go you know, meet Nick, down, who was down the road from me at the time. A lot of the places were in London and the big city lights attraction type stuff like that. And mm. um, then you get in and you, you sort of learn that it's not just um, just sort of uh, I don't know, marrying sort of job applications with <laughs> with job adverts and things like that. There's a lot more to it than that. And uh, yeah, it was it was such an eye-opening journey between spinning plates between attracting candidates and filling requisitions for clients, setting expectations and all these different elements in between that the, uh, the big adverts of Ibiza trips and on target earnings of hundred K don't, <laughs> don't really tell you. Um, but no, it's, it's been such a fantastic journey. Like I said, I touched it earlier that the, the technology now has come on leaps and bounds to what it was. Even in the last five, 10 years, LinkedIn has, has completely changed database systems, the way we talk to people, the way we attract people. It's a lot more saturated than it was as well. I think, you know, seven years mm. ago, there was certainly less competition, I, I feel anyway, from other recruitment partners and certainly from sort of cybersecurity recruitment. So the way we got into it was um, my boss, Nick, did a, a lot of sort of general tech stuff. Uh, I had the opportunity to work on a couple of like a CISO type role, a couple of security analyst type roles as my first roles in the industry. And then from there, I sort of enjoyed that space and got to know a few people. So I sort of spiraled, spiraled down that way, but sort of went down that avenue a bit further, which was which was where this has all come from, I guess. 
Um, but yeah, there's certainly now, there's a lot more cybersecurity specialist recruiters springing up. You think, oh, hang mm. on, <laughs> we were doing this. There was only a handful of us. <laughs> now there's everyone doing it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly changed. It's a lot more competitive than it was. Uh, I'd like to um, pedal back a little bit because <laughs> I don't think some people actually fully understand what a recruitment agency does. So I, I you know, and, and I, I, I probably don't actually fully understand what you do as from a recruitment recruitment perspective. So would you, are you able to just, you know, go into a little bit of detail of what a recruitment agency does for a client or for a, you know, prospective employee yeah. of that client? Of course. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so I guess what you have is the, the end client, whether it's talk, talk, for example, um, talk, talk will have requirements for a number of jobs that are either people leaving and we're replacing them as a sort of backfill or they're, they're new hires and building out new teams. And a lot of that can be done through direct or internal advertising. But I guess where we come in and our agency specializes finding those niche cybersecurity roles that maybe require a bit of sort of proactive searching or headhunting. So what we'll do is we'll work with, Talk talk, for example. Um, we don't, but <laughs> just to just say an example, uh, we'll go out and then we'll find that particular skill set. So that might be a combination of advertising the job, headhunting, using your network and things. So say if whoever is looking for a, a SOC analyst, for example, we'll go out and proactively find that skill set to be able to complement the advert responses that you may get as well. So it's very sort of proactive and it's not just sort of advertising and waiting for everything to come in because you guys can do that. I, I guess there's quite a lot of... Um... You, be, before you get to that stage, I dare say that you really have to understand what that business is looking for in that particular role. If you're recruiting for a CISO, or if you're recruiting for a SOC analyst, or what have you, like understanding why that company is in that position and what they're trying to achieve and what you know strategic goals they have for uh, developing in that area. How, how do you kind of learn about, I mean, you, you said yourself there, coming out of uni, sports science uh, kind of backgrounds, um, how, how do you learn about InfoSec and what's important for a business when you're not in an InfoSec environment yourself? You know what I mean? How did that course, look like? Yeah. It, you know, that was one of the key learning curves I learned really, really early on. And um, it's one of these where you, you need to, you don't need to sort of be able to do the role yourself, but you need to understand the inner workings or the motivations of. And a lot of that, to be honest, came from speaking to people. Um, so when we would work a new role, for instance, I would go out of my way enormously to understand the requirements for what the hiring manager was looking for. And then that made it easier to translate to sort of the, the candidate market. You know, is this role really for you or is it not? Um, so if this, if this role is offering progression and training and development and we get in two years time, you could be sort of managing a small team that's growth there. That's fantastic. Or vice versa, if it's not, and it's sort of more keeping the lights on, that's also fine, but it's important mm. to know what the role entails before going to market with it. So you get the right person. In terms of learning about it, I, <laughs> I, I still get uh, a bit of ribbon for this in the office. I, I went a bit um, <laughs> OTT, I'd say, maybe to start with. So uh, I went and bought uh, a CISP for Dummies book. Um, I started training for the CISMP. Um, I started listening to all these podcasts and everything to the point where I wasn't, I was taking my focus on theatrical recruitment and trying to learn so much about <laughs> security. And I think this lasted, no joke, around to the two weeks. And I was thinking, I, ca I can't balance all these things. <laughs> yep. mm. um, so I think you don't need to sort of be a past certifications per se. I know some recruiters do, but I think it's more about having an appreciation of podcasts and information like yourselves. There's uh, the Cyberwire. There's, there's all sorts of things out there as well. That There's loads of free information out there on the internet, podcast books, speaking to people, wherever it might be. And as long as you can grasp that and have an appreciation of and maybe hold your hands up when you don't know something. I think that's a really valuable sort of point mm. to make as well. If you don't know, just hold your hands up and say, look, 
I'm a bit new to this world. I'm not too familiar with SOAR. Can you help me out? And people are happy to help, you know, as long as you're honest mm. and you don't try and sort of, I don't know, sort of fudging your way through it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I wasn't sure if I could swear there. <laughs> Say what um, you want. <laughs> <laughs> I think as long as you're, you're honest, like I say, and you don't try fudging your way through it, you, you'll be all right. But um, yeah, just, just proactively go out and learn things and don't just try and match keywords on a job spec with somebody's CV because that will mm. just end in tears. What do you think about HR sifting processes? Because I think um, a lot of people in cybersecurity, because the cybersecurity is so wide, varied, there's so many different verticals, so many different specialisms, mm. you know, you might have a skill in one area, which, you know, complements the job that you're applying for, but because the HR process don't understand that, that, that transferable skill, they don't put you forward for the role. So how do you, you know, to people that you're putting forward for jobs or, you know, into roles, how do you highlight their transferable skills so that the, the HR sifting process understand, you know, what they can do for the organization? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. Really good point. I think it's a point that I think has got much, much better over the last five, six years or so. Um, but I think it all comes back to sort of understanding. Um, so particularly when you're looking at maybe roles where, you don't need to be in security to get the security analyst job, for instance, and there's a number of transferable skills there. It's about the education of to from the, the hiring manager in the business to HR or to internal recruitment or to people like me that we don't need to be, you know, have necessarily someone in security. But I think highlighting those transferable skills is is part and parcel of, sort of what we've always done. So whether that's bringing that skill out in the CV, making a point of that on the front cover of that in the email, we've, we've just started, um, well, just, I just started, I did this year, but beginning of this year, started using um, video interviews as tech, um, a submittance for, for CVs, which is really, really helpful because it does exactly that. So if you're reviewing the CV, you have a video interview next to it, which we can talk through how transferable your skills really are. So that's cool. Um, but I think it's just about bringing it out on the CV, the profile, the front cover sheet, however you're sort of doing it. If you're applying for roles directly yourself as a candidate, I think maybe personalize each CV per job advert. I know it's easier to sit there and one click apply type thing uh, mm. that a lot of places are set up for now. But maybe if you're full time looking for a job, it is almost a full time job in itself. So personalize the CV catered to that very role you're applying for that would be a sort of a, a good place to start. But yeah, with regard to what HR and recruitment are looking for, I think it's an educational piece, really. Yeah, I think you're spot on. You got you got you. You've mentioned so many things there. I'm gonna I'm gonna start. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I started waffling. I thought stop. No, no, it's all it's all great waffle. Um, you know, talking about CV tips and uh, video CVs and personalising and transferable skills, it, it, it's fantastic. Uh, I guess um, just go back before I dive into that because I'm I'm so keen to uh, to rip that open. Uh, but before I do, I guess. Let, let's just finish off about the um, the world of working in recruitment, right? You, you mentioned it's a saturated market, it's competitive. Um, I, I, that resonates a lot with information security and I dare say a lot of other industries, right? That, um, you know, there, there's it's a hard game to play uh, when, you're, when you're looking for it. There's almost too much information out there. How do you, as a recruiter, when you're approaching businesses, that you know let's say you recruit for a business you successfully fill some roles but that's it done then that's their strategy done for the next couple of years how, how do you move on to the next business and approach them and try and get their business what do, what's that kind of end of the process look like for you 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's something that's, that's, that in itself has hugely changed over the years. But I think what it bubbles back to is when you start in recruitment, people talk about relationships and adding value and things like that. And I think that's never, ever been truer than what it is now. So at the moment, you, you have to be able to add value to organizations, to individuals, to clients, however that might look. And so some examples of doing that would be to heavily invest in um, what sort of transferable skills, could be relevant to a client and help organizations go through that learning curve. It could be putting on webinars for candidates to learn from mm. industry leaders. It could be salary service, so a whole host of ways you can do it. But I think so the key takeaway is that the, the value you add has to be genuine. The second that it's not genuine or you're doing it for because my boss has told me to do it or because I read a book, it said add value and you just send them a salary survey of something with no context, and which which happens. And I get and, you know, I, I used to think adding value would be, you know, letting people know about the latest breach. This is way back now. But I, yeah, and I, in my head, I was thinking, oh, this will be helpful. It's actually not because you guys probably hear about it before I do <laughs> in reality. So. Um, yeah, I think you have to be able to add value and not just a transactional process of I've got 10 CVs for the two roles you're recruiting. What do you think? You have to come with a bit more than that and a bit more of a consultative mm. version. I think that's where the business comes from. So, so for instance, if we will, but if we were building our team for somebody, we'd build that team, which is fantastic. But off the back of that, we've probably spoken to maybe say, say we introduced five CVs. We've probably spoken to 50 people on top of that that weren't quite right for whatever reason. Maybe they weren't interested. It was the location and role was wrong and things like that. But those are still connections there that we have the opportunity to add value to and genuine value as well, not just the sort of ego is a flyer on salary surveys or fill mm. your yeah, application in here for next time, that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, on, on the subject of salaries and stuff like that, I guess... I think personally, InfoSec is probably seen as quite a lucrative industry to work in and break in. It's maybe part of the appeal. Mm. Um, and maybe because that, I mean, correct me, but I, it, maybe that's because of the the opportunity for, for fairly quick progression within the landscape, I guess, can can help you bump up that salary journey. Mm. What Before we get into that side, one of the um, challenges that I've seen personally kind of firsthand, and I wonder how you see it, uh, from both angles, from the business side and the recruitment side, is is actually benchmarking a role for a salary within the marketplace, mm. uh, and even I guess as well, a challenge around that is the the kind of how you compare London salaries to the rest of the uh, the UK and stuff, and, and how I've never known how a business comes up with the figure, the budget that they have for a particular role. And whether that's a finger in the air as to what they've always done and what they reckon, or whether there's some kind of science behind it. Do you get involved in that conversation and process? And do you ever, do you yeah. ever get, I'm, I'm firing questions here, but do you ever get like to the stage where a business comes to you and says, I want this role and this is my budget and it's down here for what they're asking. And actually they need to be up here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we do a mix of both. Some organizations have set budgets and it, it's way out of our control. Some organizations come to us and say, look, this is what I'm thinking. I've got X amount of budget this year. I'm thinking of six to 10 headcounts, what we're looking at. And we'll break that down and we'll work with them to sort of achieve. So if it's a situation whereby the in my opinion, the budget is very low for what they're asking for, what it's then about is either educating on what you could get for that and make some, some sacrifices on the spec. So for instance, if for argument's sake, if you're looking for a, uh, a cloud security engineer and you've got you know, maybe a bit under the budget, maybe you've got 60K, for instance, in London, just as for argument's sake, that's maybe a little bit light for a fully-fledged cloud security engineer. But mm. what you could get is somebody as a cloud security, no, cloud engineer rather, with some solid security credentials coming through. Would you look at that sort of route or do you want your all bells and whistles? If you do, then maybe we need to rejig a few things elsewhere. 
Mm. So yeah, it's, it's really helpful actually to get involved in the initial phases of when the budgets are defined, because that's often when the spec is defined as well. And that really helps us to be able to not only market map in preparation for that, but work with where all those thoughts have come from, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Do you find um, organizations over spec their jobs? Their, their job specifications because uh, you know you, you see you see them on LinkedIn and people are posting you know lots of jobs now you know all, all the time but do you think some some organizations ask for too much you know they might say we want a CIS with 12 years experience in you know 10 years experience in AWS 10 years experience in Azure you know Hadoop experience Kubernetes this that and this and you think well that's totally unrealistic for any one person to do unless you know you're a superhuman so i saw a a great one on linkedin it was i don't know whether this is real but it was like you know 14 years kubernetes experience and it came out in 2014 (laughs) (laughs) yeah what do you what do you think about that that the the, the specific you you talked about you getting you sometimes you get involved in the early stages Mm -hmm. and what do you think about the, the 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 job specs that you see that you haven't been involved in and you think wow you've overly you've 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 got in too high on that you're never going to find someone yeah, so I think that's a that's not not any, I don't want to say an issue because it's a bit negative, but that's a, that's a point I think for, for recognizing. We did a um, a bit of research last year with people that have just moved into cyber, and a, uh, near enough everyone said uh, one of the challenges getting in was viewing the specs and thinking I'm nowhere near qualified enough for that. How am I mm. ever going to sort of tick these boxes? But in answer to your question, I think yeah that does happen. I think the desirable skills and the must-haves are often a little bit merged, perhaps, uh, and, and maybe a little bit lost there. Um, and I think the way to do it is, is the education piece. So that comes down to, okay, the spec might look like this, but very often off that spec of 10 requirements, they only really need the, the top two or three sort of requirements in there. And it's more, the rest is more around attitude and the more softer skills approach, which mm. is quite refreshing. But you're right. If you read a hard spec on paper and it's asking for 14 years Kubernetes, you go, oh, I haven't quite got that. <laughs> um, but if you've got someone, the human bit in between, whether that's, the hire manager themselves, HR, a recruitment partner, someone sort of greasing the wheels to a degree, that's a little bit easier to, to, to transfer over. And I often send people the full specs and just say, look, I'll send you the spec. I'll also send you an advert as well. The advert's a little bit more descriptive of what we're actually after. Um, we might have got a little bit carried away on the spec. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a point to sort of just keep in mind, I think. And I guess that's one of the benefits of using a recruitment agent um, because you you help translate that message, I guess, back from the employee of uh, the candidate to the to the employer, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and kind of help broker that conversation without having to them having to interview the candidate. And that, you know, they go into interview mode and try and sell themselves. And actually, yeah. you can boil it down and say, listen, I know this guy's got X, Y and Z, whatever. And I, I reckon it's at, at least worth a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think a lot of the time, that's probably what a lot of people need, isn't it? That foot in the door. If you've got an interview, well, over to you now. You go and sell yourself. You've got an hour in front of the hiring manager. You know, mm. you can you know, really sell yourself. So it's not necessarily all about your CV, but you know, I guess that's one of the benefits. I get you, we're, 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 uh, we're going into the kind of area here of you know, skills and stuff within the UK, and I'm really, really keen to know like, what your view is. on. A lot of people tell me we've got a cyber skills shortage in the UK. I hear this bandied around quite often and there's blog posts on LinkedIn um, uh, uh, very regularly about this kind of topic and I never come away reading anything thinking that uh, yeah yes or no either way so I guess I'm keen to know what your view is do you think we've got a shortage from the academia sector people breaking into industry people learning in their bedrooms what kind of stuff when they're trying to get into industry 
Do we have I a shortage? Think, yeah, you know, I, I, I'd be inclined to say yes, but with an explanation around it. So I think from my perspective, it, it is harder to hire certain skill sets than it is others. Just from speaking from experience, speaking to people who do a similar job in our industry, okay. people I know and things like that, hiring managers, whatever it might be, there's definitely harder skill sets to hire for than there is, there is others. But I think also to add to that as well, I think there's, there's real sort of core work to be done around identification of where those skill sets can come from. Um, you know, it's not like one day there was globally a million cybersecurity professionals and there was only 800,000 jobs and everyone was happy because everyone had a job and there was probably too, you know, too many people for jobs. It's not like that's now flipped to uh, 1.5 million jobs are available, but we've still got the same amount of people because there's always people coming through and joining the industry either from education or other areas. So I think there's, um, and what we try and do is a lot of work around the transferable skills of nature as to people coming into the industry from other areas and help sort of educate on how we can make that journey as easy as possible. Because I think there's a lot of, mm-hmm. not misguidance, but there's a lot of, you Google how to get into cybersecurity, you'll see CISP within two clicks. Yeah. So I, I think I think there's a bit of sort of work in education to be done there and there's education schoolings that can happen as well. So I think we need to work as an industry to help identify uh, the skills that are out there that are maybe even in your current organization that you know are okay. And I think those roles where you don't necessarily need, say, an information security analyst to fill the analyst post, you could maybe take someone from project management or sales or BA or whatever it might be to fill that position, which would then maybe free the security analyst up to take on more senior Mm. positions where you need that security experience is sort of my thoughts so yeah i think in summary they're harder roles to, to hire for in some areas um, but i think there's a lot of what we still can do and it i haven't got all the answers but i think you know there is a, there's areas we can explore further and it's just about trying to get it right um to, yeah to make definitely the work, you know. that's cool you, you mentioned cisp as well like how how important do you think that is as a certification? Like I know Ashley, you please be positive here. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> don't be like it's terrible. Don't do it. It's a waste of money. And think ah, no, geez. not at all, not at all. And yeah, to, to be honest, this is the more the reflections of of uh, businesses and hiring managers, I guess, that I'm sort of relaying on on the behalf of. Um, Sis, I, I think Sis is solid. You know it in my view sort of solidifies the experience you have and i think if you're in quite a generalist type role moving towards leadership perhaps leading teams there's not a sort of specific avenue you want to explore like you know a speciality like a penetration testing or you know public mm. malware engineering um reverse engineering rather engineering <laughs> yeah i don't write uh, it yeah, yeah i was gonna say yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so i, I think there's value for, for the sys to bring there and some education experience other organizations maybe the more corporate uh, regulatory heavy require certifications at certain levels so absolutely there's, there's a need it's i'm not going to sit here and bash the CISP at all but i think what we get a lot of traffic is from people you know i've um, i've been in it for, for 10 years i want to go and now be, be a SOC analyst i'm training for my CISP and i think okay that's fine and it's not going to hurt you uh, in terms of applications or experience but there's probably uh, more relevant certifications maybe there or trainings or money to be spent on them than maybe a CISP uh, at this moment in time five years down the line, yeah, fill your boots. But I think at this moment in time to break in, the CIS probably isn't going to be the be all and end all. That, that's, that's a fantastic answer because I've had, I've had conversations with people on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn to say, right, the CISP is a really good certification and it's the best certification that I've done because it, because of the generalism of the certification. It covers every possible permutation of cybersecurity, but at a higher level. 
you know it's not going to go into the weeds of of, of a domain it's going to tell you or teach you what you need to know um to be a generalist in an organization or to be that CISO or to be the security manager or to be the CIO because you need to be business aware and security aware you know my sysp exam you have stuff you know stuff coming up at you know what's the correct height to put a light on a data center you know that's got nothing to do with you know malware or penetration testing but a generalist needs to know that to, to go to an organization and say well you haven't got lighting here you haven't got this you haven't got the right people on the gates but you know you need to have that general that generalization um and i think i think it's really good advice to say you know, I, I think the CISP sometimes get a bad, gets a bad rap. You know, you look, you know, I'm, you know, in some of the um, Discord groups and, you know, some people take a mick out of people that have a CISP and think, you know, it's a, it's the be old and end all of, uh, of cybersecurity uh, certifications. But um, I think it gets a bad rap because people want it. It's on every single mm. um, uh, high, you know, cybersecurity position of power and every single managerial um, role I've seen always has minimum CISP, CISM, you know, um, or, or, or some of the SANS courses, or, or you know, it, it's always there. So I, see, I think it does get a little bit of a bad rap because it's on a lot of CVs um, and it's on a lot of job specs as well. But I do like what you're saying there, that there is, there is other avenues. And I wish, I, I do wish more people would discuss that and say, look, if you want a CISP, it's fantastic. But yeah. what about OSCP? What about CEH? What about, you know, what about, uh, what's one that you've got, Colin? G GAC. There's absolutely yeah. tons of them to do. Um, mm. Don't just focus on what IC Squared are offering, which they are offering some fantastic courses mm. and the community is amazing, but there is other things out there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, thanks it's for sort of like, a, like, a, like you say, horses for courses. It's yeah. if, if you want, you know, a, a more generalist, high-level approach, or maybe you're an engineer at the moment, you're doing security work, and you want to validate that further. Brilliant. You know, that 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 could be an ideal option. But yeah, like you're right for the for the SME type stuff, then there, maybe there are other other routes out there. Mm. You're selling it to me now, boys. I, I might have to go and do my. I'm telling you, I've got the book. I've got the book. You can have it. It's a thousand pages. You'll love it. Oh, um, great! Yeah, a bit of bedtime reading. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. So, James, in terms of, you know, we, we talked about earlier before I went on my sis brand there. Um, we talked. We, we talked about a little bit on um, the the lack of the lack of cybersecurity talent or the perceived lack of cybersecurity talent. But one thing that I've I've noticed is the the divide within the country itself. Now you have pockets of talent around around the UK, um, and you have you have areas of just specialism. So you know you'll have the Cheltenham area, which is heavily technical. You have the you know, Manchester, which is heavily technical. Leeds is technical. Um, the, the Bristol technical as well. And then you have just kind of a widespread. But do you think there's a there's a, there's a, a a true north south divide within within roles? um at the moment or is it is it a little bit mixed um especially with covid there's a lot of remote working so it doesn't really really matter um what's your opinion on that yeah i was gonna say actually that the, the, the covid point you made there yeah. has, has very recently flipped this on its head totally we're, we're now seeing roles that are open to home working 100 percent of the time come to the office for a bit of collab work and things like that but mm. yeah that, so that will flip that but yeah historically say i mean I wouldn't say so. I think uh, the tech tends to follow sort of the big industries. So we've done we've done work right across the UK, Europe, US, and things like that. It just follows the, the larger industry. So London is obviously hot. Uh, we've done a bit of work in the Midlands. Uh, we've we've gone you know, to villages in Skipton in Yorkshire, for instance. You know, we uh, we did a bit of work there once. It, it tends to follow the, the larger industry. And like you say, when you've got those hubs like Leeds and Manchester, where they've got a few sort of key players there, that only breeds a bit more competition. So. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say there's, a, I haven't seen anyway, from my perspective, there's sort of north-south divide. I don't know if that's what you guys have seen. Or... I think, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess, with, as we said, with the COVID situation, uh, I guess uh, as a, a bit of a follow-up question, to, to answer your question with a question, um, I, I wonder whether, my, my, my perception is, and, and probably the reality is, that the, the higher paid roles in InfoSec tend to be in London because mm. of the living standard, the cost of living, all the rest of it. Uh, naturally, you would expect to have a higher salary there. But with that shift then, you know, our businesses, do you think businesses are, you know, if they're willing to recruit elsewhere around the UK, be a bit more flexible, do you think the salary uh, expectations for the role will come down and will that affect people that are actually living in London who are looking for roles? And, you know, if, really if, they're, if, if, if they're going for a role, which, you know, is open for remote working and it's slightly lower salary and all of a sudden it impacts on their lifestyle, doesn't it? Not that I'm feeling too sorry for my southern colleagues here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it's a consideration, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I think enormously. I think it's um, from what we've seen so far, the London salaries haven't changed to what they were too much. Well, mm. at all, if anything, but what it's done is open the door for, for people around the rest of the country that maybe aren't on London wages and they're going, oh, hang on, this is actually a really, really viable option now. Will mm. in maybe a year's time, if this continues like it is and home working remains quite flexible, will that then bring down sort of overall salaries to accommodate for that? Maybe. I could see that happening. Uh, it depends, I think, organisation to organisation, how you can stick to home working now versus in a year's yeah. time, maybe. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses are looking at like a European jobs market all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, if you're on roughly the same time zone, mm. who cares where you work now? You know, what, what do you what do you so so London waiting is something very um, uh, I've pondered about a few times, and uh, I listened to another podcast about this, which it wasn't all about London waiting, but they mentioned mm. it was talking about the idea of actually scrapping London waiting completely um because of how how it is perceived to be quite unfair you know just because you live in london you get paid more but you know everything else costs more it's more expensive anyway but the the the, the introduction of an, uh, of the idea of large city waiting because you know living in manchester is really expensive you know it's not it's not cheap at all you know living in manchester and leeds and the surrounding areas and in you know, those larger cities is it's quite high but you don't get any more salary because you live in in Manchester or Chester or Liverpool, there's no, there's no, there's no big, bigger salary. But the minute you move to, you know, SW13, wow, you get London mm -hmm. waiting. So, I mean, you know, what do you think about this, this the idea of large city waiting uh, and removing the London waiting idea? Yeah, potentially it, it could work. I think, um, I, I don't know exact figures in terms of Manchester versus London and how expensive uh, things are there, but I think it could work potentially. Um, but again, it's, London is, is, is so expensive, just travel and commuting mm. and all the rest of it tied in. And I don't know, just speaking from experience, the, the larger cities tend to come with a bigger salary anyway. It might not be officially called city waiting or London waiting, uh, but they tend to sort of come with an uplift anyway. And the organisations that are further out are, are that much less. To be honest, usually it, it, a fair chunk's knocked off due to just transport and commuting in and out. And, if we're going forward into a world where that's not going to be as costly, maybe that might sort of throw us off or then an influencer. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's going to be a, a real fun one to watch it play out and how major organizations, you know, have, have invested in massive big tower blocks in Canary Wharf all of a sudden, what are they going know, to be doing? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. I, is it going to be a ghost town? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a strange semi worrying odd thought, isn't it? But yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting to see, I think. Yeah, cool. So, uh, so 
we, we mentioned COVID, and to be fair with you, I don't think we've mentioned COVID that much on this whole no, you're right. Whole we series. We've, we've kind of we tried to avoid it because we're not, we're not the news. Um, has has how how has how has the current situation affected recruitment? You know what did did you have a you know come March was it an instant lights off um, or has it has it been slowly trickling and then it's picked up again? You know what what what's the current trend within recruitment um, for someone that might think actually you know I'm really good with people I'm really good with talking to organisations my stakeholder management's on point I want to be in cybersecurity recruitment you know what is the state of cybersecurity recruitment at the moment? Sure, that's, that's a really good question to ask. So I think for us, so um, just from a recruiting standpoint for organizations recruitment, what we've had and what we've found was, so we, we recruit globally, right? So we do UK, Europe, and then US as well. And what we found was in March, April time, um, we had a bit of a slowdown. So it was a bit of a, oh, hang on, what's going on? We're not quite sure how this will influence budgets. I think I think right at the beginning, sporting events were still taking place and then they were being cancelled. Like, I can't quite remember how it worked, but there was a little bit of a slowdown there. And we recruit in, we have people that look at security operations, engineering, and also government risk and compliance. And that was the case across all sorts of areas. And then what we had from maybe sort of... Uh, April through to sort of July time was the more critical roles were either still there remaining or sort of coming back. And now what we're seeing is really interesting and quite encouraging for not just us at the industry, but the whole economy is that over the next sort of three months from what we've heard and what we've seen, things are now picking up again and people are a bit more aware of how COVID has influenced their, either their work-life balance or their people in the office or budgets and things like this. So it's really sort of picking up again now, which is so encouraging for us as an economy as a whole naturally industries that have been hit unfortunately by the the, the covid set of things so the travel and the, the tourism and things they've they've suffered you know, clearly but um other industries that can work from home be it tech or whatever have, have mm. done okay and we're now coming out of that touch wood fingers crossed all the rest of it um mm. so yeah it's, it's a bit of a brighter sort of end of the year i think all, all things considered yeah um and yeah with regards to sort of people getting cyber security recruitment we've um yeah we've, we've hired a couple of people in fairness uh, mm. to come on and join the team um who are fantastic they, they're working really well and uh yeah so it's, it's okay for the minute for you know touch wood and we're like i said we've got a few new starters coming through so yes it's <laughs> yeah and i see it as well on the on the kind of candidate side you know I, i've got people within my personal network who you know were furloughed and then um what's the phrase they're using they're kind of they, they've been um they've been laid off as a result uh, of being furloughed like businesses have have realized that do you know what they've kind of reassessed their their um their strategy and their investments and stuff and then they they kind of make them covid redundant that's the phrase i'm looking for okay. uh, is the term that there seems to be bounced around at the moment and so there's a lot of people kind of reassessing their own personal lives and thinking well do you know what maybe this is the break that i need i you know i've been working in retail or wherever mm. you know in the hospitality sector for 10 years you know i always fancied breaking into infosec you know hacking and all that kind of stuff really interests me and i really want to you know i've got some skills but they're not cybersecurity skills like how how can they kind of market themselves to you know these entry-level roles that we really want to kind of develop talent in the uk here and fill that skill shortage what kind of stuff can people call out on their cv when we mentioned earlier about transferable skills, what would some of them be that's really important then? So I think um, I think where it all starts is is finding what sort of thing interests you in security. Like you said earlier, it's such a huge landscape. 
you can't just get into cybersecurity. Well, you, you can, but it's not like I'm a cybersecurity professional now and you know everything <laughs> about cyber. So I think pick an avenue that really interests you. So um, I touched on it a bit. We did a survey last year about why did you get into cyber? And the underlying sort of consistent thought you know, was the, um, I've always had curiosity or an interest or um, I, I like this sort of world. And whether that's from, you know, being a kid at the back of the classroom in IT, you know, breaking into stuff, hacking passwords, whether it's, Break right. into your mate's yeah. hotel room or, you know, things like that. Or, unfortunately, if you've been hit by a cyber attack, so there's always an underlying interest there which sort of kicks things off. Mm. So from there, I always suggest that what interests you? What, what, what do you like about it? You, you don't just get into this because you, you've heard the money's good and there's a bit of a skill shortage. Find an interest because otherwise you won't want to do it every day. Mm. Um, and then from there, you can work towards a particular goal. So for argument's sake, if you're, you want to get on the route of penetration testing, you've got a bit of IT knowledge, but it's not where it needs to be before going anywhere near certifications or training and things like that, why don't you maybe pick up a, you know, a, a few resources on the internet or a book around sort of ethical hacking, or maybe play on try hack me or hack the box or connect with similar minded people on LinkedIn. Twitter is a great source for that sort of stuff yeah. and do a load of research first and just make sure, cause you might do hack the box and go, this is, this isn't what I thought it was at all. It's not the, the ones and the zeros and the matrix, you know, it's nothing like that. I, I want out, I want to go and do something else. Um, so have a, a route you want to sort of go down. If you want to be a generalist, that's cool as well, but want to be a generalist. Um, so mm. I think the, that sort of route's good. I think making it apparent the CV as well. So whilst your CV might not, I'm not a cybersecurity engineer, for instance, you could you know, point out in your profile that you're on tryhackme.com, you're running there. Um, here's my Twitter handle, here's some of the work I've done on Stack Overflow. And you can really, mm. really bring that to light because that is so, so valuable. And I don't, I don't think that's put on CVs, and even from experienced people. They don't sort of point to their sort of hobbies and tinkering interests, if you like, in the cyber landscape. Um, I think that's really important to do. And then yeah, it's such a good point. Sorry to cut you off. No, I mean, cool, I, yeah. I, I, I remember talking about this on another episode with Ashley about, you know, oh, yes. people putting their, their hobbies on their CV. Like, I don't give it, I don't really care if you read a book and go horse riding and stuff like that. What, <laughs> but what you're talking about is like, you know, my hobbies are related to InfoSec. Like I read this blog or I've set up my own personal lab or I do this or I, I contribute on Stack Overflow for technical questions and stuff like that. Nice. It's amazing, isn't it? Like contributing back to the community and what you're saying there is so powerful. If I saw that on someone's CV, I'd genuinely be impressed with them. If they've got, even if they've got their own website and they've got a couple of blog posts and they mouth off about it, I'd be, you know what I mean? I'm fair play to you, you're putting yourself out there. You know what I mean? Um, and you mentioned as well, about uh, people start and a concept which I, I really uh, um, I have first hand knowledge of with your organization you, you put yourself together with a, a video introduction right and mm. I've watched yours and I was really impressed with it um, so how do people are, are people kind of running with that idea now is that something that you're helping them with how do people um, it's a new concept I think people got this traditional view of I'm applying for a job I need a CV and a cover letter and, and, and a bit of bullshit behind me and away I go mm. but this this kind of it's a bit new isn't it like to have a video platform and I'm going to waffle for one more minute here but I'll get to my point solely for the fact that again I refer back to another conversation we had on this series where I think somebody said do you know what take take the name take the photo off the CV I don't mm. want to see any of that I just want to see the skills and I can make a uh, you know a, a kind of um, uh, a non-biased assessment i'm not assessing their race their gender their you know their age i'm not inferring anything i'm just looking at like the skills of the person but flip side to that if you see a video of someone how they yeah. speak how they present what they look like you're going to judge them so you're putting yourself out there a little bit is it how do people feel about it it's worked it's it it's had a positive response not just from um 
so we sort of a, a approach people for new roles via the video link staff similar to what you got there as well um, but also it's it's the, the biggest i think um help and value add to organizations is we ask questions from uh the hiring manager to that candidate around what they're specifically looking for five ten minutes something like that and include that with the cv as well mm. so then we get a complete overview of like you say how that person comes across how they articulate themselves what they're all about and, and a lot of the time that that can be a huge huge time saver so what it saves is uh, maybe if a hiring manager is hiring for three different posts for instance and they've got from that three different roles you've got i don't know anywhere between 10 and 15 sort of interviews all going on that's 10 15 hours potentially mm -hmm. lined up to potentially interview but if you have five ten minutes to review a um sort of video plus the cv and get a sort of a snapshot of how they come across that can be a real sort of difference maker when it comes to sort of the, the time saving and, and knowing where you want to go so yeah it's, it's had a really positive feedback in fairness yeah so i guess you're gonna you're gonna meet the person anyway and you're gonna have that facetime judgment and you're kind yeah. of bringing that stage of the process forward and making it a bit more of a slicker process i do like it i mean i really see the benefits in it i think um I, I'd love to see more people do it and just hosting videos, bios of themselves and stuff like that, um, mm. kind of put themselves out there. I do think it's interesting. Um, I think it's just, you know, especially like, what do you, what do you say to people that don't have the confidence to do it, you know, to, mm. you know, to, to be on camera and, and sell themselves. Cause there is, there is, there is a lot of people in information security that, that, that are very introverted and they don't want to, you know, sell themselves. That is yeah, probably the true. worst thing. It's it's terrible for them. They they feel frightened by that. Mm -hmm. You know. So what do they? What do you say to those people um, that you know just can't? You know, they're nervous in front of the camera. Never mind on an interview. Um, how, how do you get around that barrier? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point to to make. And it's it's not for everyone. And the first time we did it as a company, there was seven of us sitting upstairs or wherever we were at home at that time. Sorry, trying to do this video, we were holding it really close, really far away. <laughs> the lighting was awful. It was it was a whole yeah. host of things. If anything could have gone wrong, wrong would have. But um, I think the when and you're right, people not everyone's a fan of the video stuff. And we always give the option. We don't have to do this, but it, you know, it's it's quite helpful. But I think because it's not we're not sort of looking for a monologue of your background and how wonderful mm. you are and your, your key key areas of experience. It's more of a guided Q and A. It's almost like a mini interview, if you like. And there are always questions from the hiring manager to ask. So they're always role relevant and mm. we're asking them around their expertise or area of perceived expertise. So it's not a... Um, so this is a not like, a, this is not like, hi, I'm Colin Hardy and I'm blah, blah, blah. This is more like yeah. each, you would do one per, per application almost. Exactly, yeah. And it's okay. always personal. Oh, okay, I see now. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, that's um, interesting. So some people do. You're right. Some people do think it's a monologue, and we sort of bring it back. Say, no, look, here's here's the questions we're going to run through. These are sort of the areas we're going to touch upon. Are you comfortable? And and we yeah we we drill it. And if it goes wrong, we could start it again. Things like that. But mm. yeah, it's it's it, 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 what I mentioned earlier about that value add. It's taking the sort of the first and the first half of the first interview and doing it there and then, so that mm. we can save everybody a bit of time in the long run. Um, but like you said, Colin, they're going to have to be on video at this stage at some point anyway. So mm. let's get it out of the way with me, who, <laughs> with respect, doesn't matter too much. <laughs> and yeah, then the end, uh, end client. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. I, I thought it was like a like a, a Paddy McGuinness take me out type of, uh, <laughs> you know, dancing down a, a You lift. get your mum to give you a bit of a bio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah well, we it. still have the lift, you know, the... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm interested now, Ashley. What would be your theme tune in the lift? Yeah, what exactly. Is, what, a bit of Rocky Balboa. Yeah, if I was a hiring manager and someone that that came across my desk, I'd be like, Jesus Christ, they've got some fantastic <laughs> editing <laughs> skills. You'd have a look, um, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. So talking about roles, and you know, we've, we we very much stick we stuck on recruitment because that's your specialty, and you know, I have no idea about recruitment. So. Um, from your area and what you look at, you must see so many different roles. What would you say, what is the most requested cybersecurity or information security role you get at the moment? Cool. That's a great question. The most requested, I think. Is it like suck our, analyst? Yeah. Information so, security manager. You know, what, what do you get a lot of? We get, so we, we split our um, sort of niches down, if you like. So uh, I look at more your blue team SOC type area. Uh, colleagues of mine look at more engineering, architecture, cloud, that sort of world. And, uh, and then we've got somebody that looks after the more governance risk and compliance space so that we're a bit more plugged into our specific areas. But I think overall recently, uh, there's a few trends coming through. There's a big shift towards uh, awareness-based roles. So awareness and culture. Mm. Uh, a lot of organizations are investing in those sorts of positions. But also, if I'm totally honest, of recent, since the last six months, the, the, the SOC blue team orientated roles, whilst it might not be called a SOC analyst, okay. uh, you've also got a big investment in sort of more blue team security analysts with experience in maybe incident response or experience in a bit of scripting skills to help get our scene where it needs to be uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. So they, those are sort of two hot ones at the moment. But to be honest, there's, the whole industry is still demanding people coming do, do you think it's really male orientated and I, i'm asking this as a bit of a loaded question i'll be honest with you no, um, I, I recently uh, my i won't name him but my boss was involved in a panel um discussion a little while ago now and he was talking to me about and i found fascinating and it was it was to do with the language that's used um to describe skills within cybersecurity being perceived mm as very male orientated. You talk about penetration testing, intrusion testing, hacking, mm. hunting, yeah. really male, word, masculine words. Mm. Um, and there was a really interesting discussion. And I, you know, like these kind of panels often are, there's no real output to it other than just a bit of, uh, bit of interesting debate um, as to whether that language should change. And on the one hand, I think a lot of the room were like, yeah, do you know what, actually, now you say it, those are masculine words and maybe they don't appeal to a female audience. Mm. And then the, there were females in the audience who said, well, don't dumb it down for us. If it's called pen testing, it's called pen testing. And if it's hacking and intrusion, it's, that's what it's called. So don't play to us because you're offending us even more by, by yeah. kind of changing it. So I, I think it's, do, do you see organizations kind of being conscious of their recruitment tactics to encourage a diverse population or is it fairly, a bit bit kind of in the wind no yeah it's it's, it's a really good point you make and uh, you know that sort of language they use i think i think um you know, becky was on your podcast before she talked about mm. those tools to identify which are more masculine and which aren't and things and i and you you wouldn't even think of that until you go oh crikey maybe we are missing a trick here um but organizations are massively massively conscious about getting diverse and that's a sort of a big push but again without you know, patronizing or doing it the wrong way. I think um, there was a book by uh, a lady called Jane Franklin. I don't know if you know her, um, uh, Insecurity a few years back. And in there, she spoke about an example where a, um, I can't remember if it was a recruiter or a, uh, an organization were trying to attract more women into cyber with pink nail polish, which is sort of a horror story of, no, 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 don't, don't do that, please. Um, so it's got to be sort of, you know, it has to be sort of a level playing field to a degree. And to take the women in cyber, for instance, it's important to showcase women 
role models within cybersecurity, but also mm. let's not exclude men from that conversation completely because it's all about diversity mm. and equality and, and showcasing that. So it's a really tricky one. Organizations are much more aware of it, absolutely. Um, I think it starts with education, if I'm honest. I think, um, you know, a lot of organizations, we do um, a local sort of skills fair here where you know, people studying computer science are, are coming through where they're talking about cybersecurity and careers and we try and help them. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of those um, people studying those courses were, you know, were girls and females and ladies coming through the ranks, which is really refreshing to see. Um, so I think if we can start with education and then bring people forward from there, that's a really good mm-hmm. sort of way to do it. I think, again, going back to that book with Jane Frank, and she talked about the Israeli schooling system has a really good sort of balance and they really get it right when it comes to, mm. to, to women in technology as a whole, not just in cyber. So yeah, I think the education is a real key, key area. To look I think the Israelis have got it really sewn up, haven't they? Yeah, That's yeah. So yeah, fantastic. That's really insightful. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I guess um, the kind of closing thoughts for me or closing questions from, from me, I'm really keen to know then if you, if I was to kind of nail it down, there's almost two parts to this question, forgive me, but if you're a business, how do you, what's the best kind of tip you can give a business for recruiting the best talent? Like how can they market the role um, in the best kind of way? And then as a candidate, Mm -hmm. what are the kind of maybe top two or three things that a candidate should really bring to the table um, to, to help them break into industry and progress? Sure, so I think if you're, if you're an organization, I think the, the, the best people we work with, if they're, if they're recruiting, they're serious about recruiting and they're going for it. So you're getting CVs, you're reviewing CVs, you're providing feedback, holding, in, holding interviews and, and working with either whether it's a recruitment partner like myself or HR or internal recruitment to get that done. It's almost as if I always sort of think it's as soon as you start that recruitment process and you engage a candidate, it's almost like you started the clock. And then mm-hmm. if you're really quick and momentum's kept going and kept going, that's fantastic. If you're not getting the right skills, that can be revisited and conversations can be had about what needs to change and things like that. But I think keep the momentum going in the right direction. So if you're an organization looking to recruit, uh, make sure everyone's aware of if we don't need the whole spec, we don't need the whole spec and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So really setting expectations and keep momentum going, I think would be the sort of two core points at a high level. Um, if you're a candidate looking to get noticed, I think, I think it will depend role to role, but, but know what the role is, know what you're going for, know enough about the organization, but, but try and get some inside perspective as to what they're looking for, whether that's through recruitment or your network or things like that. That will really, really help you in the long run as to try and find the, sort of the one or two key points on the spec there. They're really looking for that are so important uh, to put forward and then work with somebody maybe to optimize CVs and, and, and applications and cover letters or whatever it might be, or video interviews mm. uh, with, with what you can do. That's cool. Well, I like that. I think um, I'm going to, I know you wanted to close it, Colin, but um, Go for it. Okay. it was a question that I meant to ask earlier on and I, I don't want to forget, um, which we often do in these, we forget to ask things, but um, I think we should be definitely aware that, you know, cybersecurity recruitment is a, is, is a good area to be in. And, you know, mm-hmm. so how do you, how, how do you, you know, you've done it, you did a degree in sport, but then you've pivoted to what you do now. And to be honest with you, James, like, you know, you, you know, all, all the words and all the lingo and all the acronyms. So, you know, I'd be, if I was just to talk to you, I would think, well, are you like a sock manager or do you work in information security? Like you don't, you don't strike me as a recruiter. Are we 
totally honest with you. Mm. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you get to where you are, which you, 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 you seem so, you are so knowledgeable in this area. You know, how do you get inside, how do you get into the recruitment side? Um, and then like you did, you did a bit of CISP learning and X, Y, and Z, but you know, how do you get, get that knowledge and gain, gain that knowledge in quick, in quick time? I think, uh, to be honest, my, my I can't speak for other people or, mm. or even other organizations to that much extent, but I think my, my journey and, and my boss and, and our culture here has always been, look, you know, we, we have three niche areas for a reason to, to go out and research and spend time in those spaces. And that's maybe a lot of time just talking to people and understanding do your own research. A lot of what I'm saying here is picked up from you know, roles I've worked or people I've spoken to or met or, or mm. just met for a coffee. You know, we, we do that a lot. You know, it's, it's not always about the hard sell, sell, sell. If you view recruitment as a sales job, and it is to a degree, yeah. but if you view it as purely sort of like a car sales, you know, it's not going to work. You have to add value. And you, the second you think of it more as a sort of broker between two parties, add value as a consultant. You know, if your niche is security operations, like, like for example, mine is here, then that needs to come through and you need to actually add value in that world and not just try and fire out CVs and blanket mails to everybody because it just doesn't work. Um, so that's what we say to all the guys here. And it's, if you do it as a career that's not sales and it is a, a broker and it's a consultant and you can add value and it's a career for you a long run, that will view you better than if you see it as a, I'm going to get to my desk and I'm going to make 400 calls a day and we're going to go, go, go. And someone's going yeah. to say yes. Um, mm. So that, that, that would be my advice. I think, you know, if you're looking to get into cybersecurity recruitment, I would advise finding maybe a specialist in that space, for example, shameless plug, but <laughs> what, yeah, what we course, do, you know, for example, yeah. <laughs> um, and look to, you know, just become a specialist and don't try and rush into being that specialist. Talk to people, listen. I think that's you know, probably the biggest one. Just, just, just listen and soak up as much as you can. I, I, do you know, I, I, it's really refreshing hearing you talk about this because um, being in, you know, on LinkedIn, you get sent stuff all the time. And, you know, I yeah. get sent job, uh, job specifications or applications or things that I've just, it's got nothing to do with my area of specialism. Like they haven't even looked at my LinkedIn profile. And I think mm -hmm. that's the negative um, stigma that recruitment agencies and recruiters have um, because they just fire job, you know, they just do that law of averages. It's automated, um, surely. Yeah, yeah, super just automated, just fire as many, as many, as many as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what you're saying there is amazing and I think it's really, really refreshing. So, um, mm. you know, so maybe <laughs> look, look James up and maybe we'll hire you. <laughs> It sounds like you're about to get kicked out of your meeting. I just, well. <laughs> I yeah. just saw someone walk in. Sorry. We'll let you, we'll let you, uh, we'll let you go you anyway. Sorry. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I think we've covered an awful lot here in a short space of time, James. Thank you for sharing your insights into what it's like to work in, in recruitment, what it's like to be a business recruiting in this space, and also what it's like and the tips and advice for a candidate. So thank you for sharing your, your industry insights. We could carry on talking to you all day, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, Thank you for having me. It's been yeah, really fun. And uh, yeah, time, time's flown. I'm about to yeah. get kicked out. So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right.